0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney. It was
1: 1986, and I found myself in the jungle in Bolivia. We were missionaries there, and in that final year on the field, I traveled four hours into the jungle away from where we lived to attend a Bible. Conference that was being held in a community out there. I say a community, there were only a few huts around here and there. But as it was in the jungle areas, when we had those kind of conferences, people literally walked from 10 to 15 hours through the jungle to come to these conferences. And when we had them, they lasted for an entire month. They would bring a blanket they'd bring a metal pan and they'd bring a spoon. And they would have their metal pan and their spoon to be able to eat the meals that we served them. And they would have their blanket that they would wrap around themselves at night and they'd lean against a tree or against the side of the church building which the wall only stood about that high. Then there was a big space and a roof over the top or they'd lean against a big rock or something and they would bring these little mats sometimes and that's where they would sleep right outdoors and this would go on for a month and this wasn't just pastors this was whole families and so on so it was quite a time we'd have as many as 250 to 300 people come and we'd have to take care of them during that whole time well this particular day that I'm talking about I had started teaching at 6 a.m. that morning and my last message for that day had concluded at 10 p.m. that evening and we'd had a couple of hours off after lunch, which was the typical siesta time. And uh, everyone would go to their place where they'd sleep and rest for a while, and then we'd come back, and then we'd just preach hour after hour after hour. After all, if you would walk that far, wouldn't you want to get as much of the word as you possibly could? And so that's what I was there doing. One of four missionaries that was involved in the preaching and the teaching during that month. On this particular day, it was now 10 p.m. and uh, I was staying in the jungle in a home that was uh, lived in by the missionaries who lived in that area. They had moved out there about two years before, I mean there's no electricity, there's nothing. There's just They went out there and they built a cement type house. It had no windows on it just like the typical was for the people that lived there, It was, it was except that it was made of cement so that it would be more sturdy but that's where they lived, and they were a half a mile away from where the conference was taking place. And so it came 10 o'clock at night and most of the people of course were staying right there in that immediate area to sleep. And I needed to head to the missionary's house because that's where I was sleeping that night. And so I headed down the jungle path toward that home. What I began to notice was that the farther I went, the darker it was getting, I mean, it already was dark at night, but when you were there, you were near all the fires and so on, and they did have gas lanterns that they had in the area. But as I walked away from the area of the conference, I was finding myself now in the pitch dark. So dark, and the, 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 the branches and everything were so thick, I could not look up and see a single star or the moon or anything. All I could do was try in the dark to follow the path. Now, I don't know about you, but when I can see absolutely nothing, I begin to stumble around, and I could see absolutely nothing. I'll be honest with you, as I kept walking, I'm thinking, it's a long ways back there, and I turn around, and I can't see anything. It's a long way yet to the missionary's home, and I can't see anything. I can just feel where the path is like where my feet are but it could turn at any moment and I'd step off the path because I'd had many turns along the way. Suddenly I made one of those steps in the wrong direction and I fell out into the bushes. And I just remember getting up and then once I was in that area I couldn't immediately find the path again. I'm completely surrounded by bushes and all that stuff. And I know that out in this area there are all kinds of dangerous things that I had to be concerned about, particularly snakes in that area that are deadly poison. And so I'm literally in the middle of the woods. I look back where I came from, I see nothing. I look ahead to where I'm going, I can see nothing. I've lost the pathway and I'm saying, Lord, what what am I going to do? And I have to be honest with you and tell you that it was one of the times in my life when fear really gripped my heart. Because I didn't know what was going to be ahead. What happens if I don't find this house and I wander around in the in the jungle? And night is just starting. What, what are all the potential things that could happen? And I'm just praying and I'm crying out to God. I truly am. And this went on for about 20 or 25 minutes with me moving about, trying to re- get my bearings enough to head at least in the same direction I had been going because I determined the best thing to do was to find the house because I had to stay there anyway so I figured I'd keep moving and after about 20 or 25 minutes I remember and have you ever been in a place that's so dark that you're almost going like this you're like opening your eyes really wide to try to see if you can catch a glimpse of something that's what I was doing and all of a sudden I saw this little flicker of light in the distance it was way way off But this little flicker was, the missionary's wife had gone home earlier to get things ready for everyone that was going to be coming and staying at the place that night. They had no electricity, nothing like that. She didn't have a gas lantern there. They had taken them all to the conference area. But she took a candle, one little candle, and she lit it and she set it on the sill of the window that faced toward the conference center. Now, most of those missionaries were smart enough to have a flashlight with them. (laughs) Robbie struck out and didn't even think about it. (laughs) But I want to tell you something, folks. Something happened to me when I saw that little flicker of light. I began to focus and focus and focus. And I eventually realized that that was the missionary's house, that God had put me on the... not the path, at least move me in the direction toward that house and at a given moment I came out so that I could see that little window and that little tiny candle in the middle of that window. I, I wrote down in my notes this as I was thinking about that experience. I wrote this, it wasn't until I got my eyes on the light that peace returned to my soul. Once I got my eyes on the light Peace returned to my soul and I got there and slept there that night and believe me, the next night I went home with somebody who had a flashlight and I made it all right after that. But I want to talk to you today about fear. And the reason I do is because the future is totally unknown to you and to me. Now I have a long-term future that I'm absolutely sure of. I know Jesus is coming again one of these days. I know that. But that might not happen in 2020. I know that long term, if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to close my eyes here on earth and I'm going to open my eyes in heaven. That's absolutely secure. But that may not happen this next year. I may actually have to live next year. Just think about it. And if I do, the sad thing about this world is that there are an awful lot of things that can come our way that can produce fear in us because we don't know what's going to happen and sometimes I don't know about you but I tend to imagine the worst in a circumstance I tend to think if this happens what will I do and nine times out of ten what I imagined might happen did not happen but I got myself all worked over what the possibility was what is fear I suppose there are many ways that that word could be defined, but let me give you the definition that I have written based upon what I want to share with you today. What is fear? It is the inability to see God for who He is when I am confronted with overwhelming circumstances. Let me say it again. It is the inability to see God for who He is when I am confronted with overwhelming circumstances. I want to suggest to you today that in this story in Elijah's life, the problem Elijah has is that he took his eyes off of God and put his eyes on his circumstances. And he ends up running for his life into the wilderness, sitting under a tree, And he begins to pray. And we say, oh, that's good. He starts to pray. Yeah. God, I want to die. Take my life. Please don't pray that prayer. But that's what he prayed. And I believe with all his heart, he wanted to die. He truly wanted to die. Why? Because he was so afraid of Jezebel, and what she had threatened to do to him, that he got his eyes on her and off of the Lord, and then finds himself in a mess. It is so easy for you and for me to get out of focus spiritually. And once Elijah got his focus off of God, he ran for his life. He took the responsibility for his own protection out of God's hands and took that responsibility upon himself. And then he had no choice but to run. (laughs) Because I want to tell you folks, you and I, in ourselves, are not sufficient to handle the difficulties of life we need God to help us that's what I want to talk to you about today let's just pray please our God and Father I come to you pleading Lord that you might use me today that you might help us to think Lord about the things that we're afraid of or potentially afraid of what might happen in 2020 oh Lord remind us that you already know what will happen in 2020 and you already have the provisions made for our solutions. Lord please use your word to touch our hearts today. We will be careful to praise you for Jesus sake. Amen. What kind of enemies are you facing potentially in 2020? What enemies are threatening you? In this case Ahab had Jezebel. She was the queen. She had great power. She was the woman who had introduced the worship of Baal into the country. And through her husband had built many altars to this false god. And the and, and majority of Israel was following these false gods at the time. And Elijah was that one lone voice that would speak up and speak for God and give the truth of God and point the people back to the Lord. And after he defeated all of her prophets, it was one man against eight hundred and fifty prophets of false gods and he not only defeated them through the miracle that took place which God performed and I can't get into all of that but there was this amazing thing that happened and and then when that was done he not only did that he took those eight hundred and fifty men and marched them down to the brook Cherith and he put them all to death Because he knew that if he didn't wipe out these false prophets of the false gods, the people would continue to follow the false gods. And so God leads him to destroy these evil prophets, these evil men. And when she finds out, she is, can I use a term that I grew up using? She was ripping mad. She was. She was angry. Why? Because the whole foundation of the worship system that she promoted had been wiped out in an afternoon. And she said, may the gods do so to me if by tomorrow this time I don't do to you what you did to them. I got good news for you that's not in the message and part of the program for today. But you know what God did? There came a moment when Jezebel was thrown off the wall down to the wild dogs and they ate her alive. You stand against God, you are going to pay a price. Now, I am not sure that would happen to you, but I want to tell you something folks, hell is a real place. And if you oppose the true and living God and reject his son, there is no other alternative for you but for judgment eternally. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to go into it anymore other than to say that. But my question is, he had Jezebel to deal with. What do you have to deal with in the year ahead? In my prayer I mentioned, for some of us it may be financial difficulties. I don't know about you, but you never know from one day to the next what might happen. I've just been informed that I have $1,000 more worth of bills coming from the hospital. Hallelujah. (laughs) Do you want to know something, folks? I have seen God provide thousands upon thousands of dollars for me over the years to meet my medical needs. And I want to tell you something. They got the thousand. I said, I truly did my immediate response. Okay, Lord, where's it coming from this time? But you may be facing a financial difficulty right now in your life, and you're saying, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I know people who are on the verge of losing their home because they can't pay their mortgage payment. That's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? Maybe you will face a financial difficulty that you aren't even anticipating, but it may come in 2020 if Jesus tarries. For some of us, it's physical illness. And And we have some folks in our church that have... Illnesses that are ongoing, that they live with day by day by day, and sometimes they're doing okay, and other times they're doing really, really bad. I prayed for Corby this morning. Bless her heart. Thank the Lord. She's home at least. But folks, I want to tell you, she's got, she's got a ways to go. We need to pray for our sister. One thing about Corby is I've never seen her do anything but smile. Never heard a word of complaint. I just look at that and I say, Lord, would I react that way if I got the big C diagnosis this year? I could, you know. A lot of people in my family have had cancer. A lot of people in my family have particularly had colon cancer and stomach cancer. And that's where all of my other issues and troubles are connected in my body. So I look at that and say, well, you know what? I may be like, my grandmother and my great grandmother on that same side of the family who both died of colon cancer. I hope not but I don't know what this year is gonna hold for me. Maybe for you it's pressures at work. I don't have too many I don't have a boss so it makes it a lot easier. Yeah I do. I do but I'm talking about out there I don't have a boss. But you know, sometimes we have pressures at work. There are difficulties, things that are happening there that we don't like, and we don't know what to do. Maybe your battle in 2020 is going to be with some specific sin that you just can't seem to overcome. For some, it may be knowing God's will for your life in some particular area that greatly affects not only your today, but your tomorrow. It could be problems at home. You know, Christians that attend good Bible-believing churches sometimes have problems in their marriages. Sometimes they have problems with their children and their grandchildren. We don't know what we will face in the coming year in our families. Maybe that will be the enemy that raises its ugly head in your home. Maybe it's loneliness. You know, we have several in our congregation that live all alone now. And I live alone. And I want to tell you something, it's not fun living alone. Especially when you haven't been alone all your life, and now you are. It's very difficult. And I want to suggest to you, dear brethren, that one of the things that you can do to be a blessing in the coming year is to think about the people in our congregation who live all alone and be an encouragement to their hearts. But maybe this year, you will be the one that finds yourself alone. Do I want that to be true? Of course not. But it could happen, couldn't it? What potential enemies? Then the question is, when one of these enemies comes, where will your focus be? Will your focus be on the enemy or will your focus be upon God? Now we know from Elijah's case here that he got his eyes off of God. I want to talk to you about three mistakes that Elijah made that if we would just pay attention and listen to this text of scripture we can be prepared not to make those same mistakes. So that we can avoid finding ourselves underneath the tree saying God I want to die. Just take my life. But we have to do the right thing if we're going to have a proper attitude. So, what are these? In your notes, if you have your bulletin, you'll follow along with me. First of all, Elijah ran from the place of God's will. He ran from the place of God's will. Now, I want to show you how I prove this is true. Because the verse doesn't say, and he ran away from God's will. You know, If it said that, it would be pretty clear, wouldn't it? It would be easy. But what I want you to do is back up with me to chapter 17. Chapter 17 and verse 2, and I want you to notice what it says in 17 and verse 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Now I don't want to go into what God said to him, but what I want you to notice is that just two chapters in the past, he has heard the actual voice of God speaking to him, and the Lord said to him. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. He says, I want you to go to the brook now. So the word came from the Lord. Notice verse 5. So he went and did according to what? What he thought was best to do? No, he went and did it according to the word of the Lord. He clearly was led. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. So God clearly leads him, says, Go to Zarephath. Look at chapter 18 and verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Here again, the Lord's direction, go here, do this. Chapter 18, verse 36, notice what it says. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your what? At your word. Look at you. verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And what you need to understand is the Lord just told him that it was going to rain. And he told Ahab, and it's, it's, it's one of the comical moments in scripture. He basically said to Ahab, you'd better get in your chariot and get going home, because your wheels are going to get stuck in the mud if you don't. You have to understand, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. Now he says, it's going to rain so much, your wheels are going to get stuck. So Ahab heads on home, and it says, the Lord's hand came upon Elijah, and he girded his loins, which means he basically grabbed up his clothing up to his side, and he took off running, and he beat Ahab. But why did he do that? How could he do that? The Lord told him to. Now see the contrast. Chapter 19 verse 1-3, to And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So who's doing the talking now? Is this the Lord doing the talking? Who's doing the talking? Jezebel. Jezebel, the enemy. He should have immediately said, I'm not listening to her. She does no thing. She's not the God of heaven. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now, for you and me, we consider and say, Well, he should have known. I mean, after all, her gods weren't real gods at all. They were false gods. They had no power, they couldn't do anything. He should have just said, I'm trusting God, just like he had just done in several occasions. Notice what it says, verse 3. And when he, what? When he saw that, what did he see? He saw this message, this threat from Jezebel. It says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life because the word of the Lord came to him and told him to run. Is that what your verse says? No, he doesn't even ask the Lord. And he doesn't wait for God to speak to him. He has been threatened by the enemy and his first thing is, it says when he saw, he arose and ran for his life. He says, I'm now in control of protecting myself instead of trusting God to protect me. I don't know about you, if I've been looking at 850 prophets of Baal, I probably would have needed the protection of God. How about you? Someone has said, one woman did more than what 850 men couldn't do. We will just stop and carry on and not comment further. <laughs> but what I want you to see in this passage is, Elijah was not living by faith. He was living by sight. It says when he saw. When he saw, So, when he looked at the circumstance, when he heard the threat, he ran for his life rather than turning to God and asking for help. Now, what does God say to do when we face the enemy and hear his threats? What does God ask us to do? Well, let me just give you things real quickly here. Number one, God tells us to resist, doesn't say to run. In fact, the opposite, we're going to see today that God tells us every time that we are to stand firm and resist. Doesn't say attack. We have people out there in the world in the Christian church today who say that we need to bind demons and all that kind of stuff. I want to tell you something, that's nowhere in the Bible and in fact Michael would not curse. The evil angels, because he said, no, only God has the power to do something like that. I want to tell you, are you more powerful than the mighty archangel Michael? Resist, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He says the devil is like a lion that wants to devour you. I saw the other day on, on the Facebook, this little kid was sitting at a zoo, sitting leaned up against the the glass, thankfully, glass wall between him and a lion. And he's just sitting there smiling and their parents are taking a picture. And the lion's way in the back. All of a sudden, this lion just comes running and smashed right into that glass with that kid. And that kid jumped and went about three, four feet, scared him to death. I was thinking to myself, what a tremendous picture of what the devil is like with you and I. He's out to attack and devour us. Imagine what he would have done to that little boy if he'd got a hold of him. And imagine what the devil will do to you if you let him get a hold of you. It says in verse 9, resist him, steadfast in your own strength. Is that what it says? No, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What he's saying is, listen, nothing you face today hasn't been faced by someone else before you. And that's true. The circumstances may be a little different, but the basic issue you face is faced by other people too. And there are people who came through those circumstances in victory. And he's saying, in effect, here resist, stand firm in the faith, and God will take care of you just like he's taking care of your brother and sisters in Christ. Resist. Number two, be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're just going to turn there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Dear brethren, we have a God who is far mightier than the devil is. The devil is a created being, and while he is more powerful than us, he has no power in contrast to Almighty God. And when John the Apostle writes... To the believers, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In that context, he's talking about the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And he is stronger and more mighty than the devil is. And so be strong, not in your power, but in the Lord. It is God's grace that is sufficient, not we ourselves, nor our human resources. Third, take up the armor of God and stand firm. You're there in Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you read on in the passage, he describes the armor and folks, every piece of the armor except one is for your protection. It's not so you can attack, it's to protect you when you are attacked by the enemy. So that you can resist and stand strong. And he does give us the sword of the word of God and we do with it what Jesus did with the word. When he was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He said, it is written. You want to knock the devil down, quote him some scripture. But this was all protection, the armor of God, protective gear, plus the sword of God's holy word. And he says here that you may be able to what? To stand against the wiles. That's the deceiving methods of the devil. If you want to have any hope, folks, put on the armor, take the sword, and proclaim the word of God. Lastly, draw close to the Lord and lean on Him. This is an Old Testament passage, very familiar to us. Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31. Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Aren't you glad you never have to wake God up? Aren't you glad that God isn't so tired he has to go away on vacation for a while? Aren't you glad that God never faints and is never weary? And it says his understanding is unsearchable. In other words, anything you need to know, God knows it and can communicate it to you. Through his precious word. Then he says this. Even the youths shall faint. And be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And he talks about young men because in their youth, that's when they're you know, at, at the most physical strength. As we get older, we get weaker. But these are young men, and they're full of human strength. But he said, even young men grow weary. But those who wait on the Lord, it doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're middle-aged, it doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're a spring chicken or if you're a summer hen, it doesn't matter. Because your God is everything that you can possibly need. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. He said, listen, When you get in trouble, when the enemy attacks, remember how great your God is. I'm afraid, however, that we are sometimes more interested in a solution to our problem than we are in knowing God more intimately. Sometimes we want him to just take us out of the problem, get us out of it. I want it over, Lord. Have you ever said that? Lord, I can't stand it. Not another minute. Get me out. How many times you had that prayer answered? I'll be honest with you, I think that when we pray that way, wanting an escape, instead of trusting God, God says, no, I think I'm going to leave that one on for a while until you trust me. When you begin to trust me, then I'll lift your burden. It's not because he's mean. He's doing that because he's trying to strengthen your faith. If you give up every time something happens and you throw up your hands and your faith remains weak, you will never be an overcomer. So the Lord says, no, I'm going I'm to make you struggle with that a little bit longer and I'm going to keep working in your life and the Spirit of God will through the Word of God and I'm going to help bring you to the place where you can be strong enough to stand in the protection of the armor of God and hold the Word of God forth. To face the enemy. So his first error here, as I put it in your notes, I've got to go back and remember exactly how I said it. His first error was to run from the place of God's will. Secondly, Elijah left his servant in Beersheba. Verse 3b, it says, and he went When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. You say, why is that significant? Because there are times, especially when facing overwhelming circumstances in this life, that we ought not be alone. We need to have someone at our side to stand with us, to encourage us. You say, well, you have God, you have all you need. That's not what God says. God says, yes, he can do anything. He can do any miracle. He can deliver you from anything. But he also wants to use you and me to help other people going through trouble. That's why we need one another, folks. The psalmist, at a moment in his life, wrote these words. I looked on my right hand... And there was no one that would know me. Refuge failed me. No one cares for my soul. You ever felt like that? Been in a corner, in the middle of trouble, and said, nobody cares. I'm all alone. No one understands. Psalmist experienced that. But you know what, brethren, I want to tell you something. In some of those occasions, not all of them, but in some of those occasions, the problem is not other people who ignore us, it is we who have communicated that we are unapproachable. And how do we do that? We do that sometimes with our silence. Instead of opening up to one another and saying, Brothers and sisters, I need your prayer support. I'm going through this difficulty in my life. We want it to appear that everything is wonderful, that we're doing great with God when we may be flat on our face in utter defeat. But we just don't want anyone to know because we don't want it to be critical. But I want you to understand the Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens. But I can't bear your burden if you won't share it with me. Have you ever seen some of those people who you, they may have a great big sack to carry and you go, off, oh no, I can handle that myself. We do that all the time as Christians. Because we're afraid someone might realize that we're not perfect. That our faith isn't the strongest it can possibly be. And I want to tell you something folks, a lot of times my faith isn't what it ought to be. Just being honest with you. I put this in my notes, listen. My friends should never replace my primary confidence in God. But I must braid, you know what braiding is, right? Like you braid the hair, take the parts and you weave them together. I need to braid dependence upon God with the fellowship of the saints who are meant to be a source of encouragement in the dark hours of my life. This is part of God's plan. So my question to you today is, do you know that your brother is struggling? If you see it, listen to me, if you see him or her struggling, you become responsible before Almighty God you have to do something. Something. And it may not be any more than just writing a note of encouragement, sticking it in the mail. But you need to do something. And we need to be doing that for each other. Thirdly, the third error of Elijah is that he went into the wilderness alone. He left this servant behind, now he gets himself in a place where he's completely alone. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. That's a pretty good walk. The wilderness, the other word for that is desert. How much comfort do you find in the desert? I can assure you, I found none the times I've been there. In the northern part of Chile and also in kind of the central area of Peru, there's the Atacama Desert. It is the driest desert in the entire world. There hasn't been a drop of water fall in recorded history. There is not even a cactus to be seen. It's just sand for miles and miles and miles and miles. And the heat of the day is incredible. And Elijah runs there when he's in trouble. You say, why would he do that? What was wrong with his head? I tell you what, what was wrong with his head was that he got his eyes off God. And all he can think about is running. And I want to tell you, when you run away from your problems, you head into the desert when you don't go with God. Elijah not only separated himself from God and from the encouragement of others, his servant, he put himself in a place where he was destined to fall into even greater despair right in the middle of the desert. This was no place to find help. He goes into the wilderness and he cries out to God and said, Lord, it's enough. I want to die. Let me just say a couple of things before we move on here. Brethren, please, when you start facing the enemy this coming year, don't put yourself in the place of despair. Don't allow yourself to get there. If you see yourself heading into the wilderness alone, find someone as quick as you can find them. Don't imagine the worst case scenario, for soon you will be saying like Elijah, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. Don't take yourself and don't talk yourself into a desert experience. Have you ever looked at a circumstance, and you may not have said it out loud, but you thought, there's just no hope here. Have you ever, have you ever done that? I hope I'm not the only sinner in the place. But do you understand if I look at this and say, there's no hope, guess what? That didn't encourage me. do not build me up doesn't make me trust God. What I need to do at those desperate moments is say, God, I know who you are. And turn to Him. Now, we might think, you know, Elijah, he finds himself in the desert, he's under this tree and, and, and he's wanting to die. And we might look and say, well, he deserves it. He's just getting what he deserves. I mean, after all, he put himself there. Aren't you glad God wasn't thinking the way you and I think sometimes? You know what the Lord did for him, and I'm going to do these real quick. Number one, God knew exactly what Elijah needed, and there's three things. Number one, he needed a touch from God. Now it came in the form of an angel, but it says in verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now... I put this in my notes. I don't remember if I left it in yours. I don't think I did. God sent an angel to touch Elijah, not to whack him. My mother used to think that a good thing for me now and again was a slap side the head. And it probably was a good thing for me now and again. But I want to tell you something. I'm so glad when God before he whacks me in the head, because sometimes he can do that you know, if I won't listen. But I'm so glad that when God comes, the first thing he does is whispers in my ear. Speaks to me softly and shows what I ought to do. When I won't listen, he knows how to talk louder and he also knows how to whack once in a while when he needs to. That's not how God starts. God provides for Elijah. He doesn't punish him. God has compassion for Elijah, not condemnation. God is not waiting for my moment of weakness so that he can get me. (laughs) He wants to pick me up. He wants to encourage me. He wants to embrace me. And then he gives him a double portion of nourishment. Boy, I love this part of the message. The angel touches him and wakes him up and he says, Listen, arise and eat. So he got up and the Lord had provided the food, you know, and he gets up and he eats. And then the Bible says he laid back down and went to sleep. Do You know, look, folks, th- this, is, this is really important. When you are really in the battle, sometimes the best thing you can do is to go to bed early and sleep. Have you ever found that getting up after a good long night's sleep, you wake up in the morning with a different attitude than when you went to bed? And he says... Eat and sleep. So he fed him, and he put him to bed, and he went to sleep. And then he says, he woke up again. Is that not only a double portion of nourishment, there's a double portion of rest. Maybe you need two good nights sleep. Maybe you need to get away for a few days and just focus on God and spend as much time resting as you can. Sometimes we need to do that. What do we do? We plan a vacation. Instead of finding a place to rest, we do so much stuff, we come back tireder than when we left home. And we get home and say, I need a vacation from the vacation. And here what we see is that he says, no, I want you to rest. I want you to rest. So he sleeps twice. Now, I get to just close with this passage. Go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Folks, if you haven't marked these verses in your Bible, you need to do it. It's so important. You know, when you're in trouble, when you're facing the enemy, you know what we need? We need the peace of God, right? Because we don't always get the provision and the deliverance immediately, but we do need and can have His peace immediately. Notice that in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. You say, well, hallelujah, there's the peace of so Lord, just give me peace. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you don't obey verse 6, you'll never enjoy verse 7. What does verse 6 say? Be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? Don't worry about anything. That doesn't apply to any of us, right? Because we never worry right? He says, be anxious for nothing. Well, how do you not worry? This is how you not worry. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in just the good times, in everything by prayer and supplication. One of those words means a prayer when I talk to God and I have a need. And I just present it to God. The other one is I come to God with my need knowing he's the only one who can provide that specific need. So he says, when it's super urgent and even something you could do for yourself, come to God anyway and pray about it. And when it's something only God can do, come with that urgency about it. And then he says, when you pray and bring those needs, do it with what? Thanksgiving. How do you do that? You can't be thankful for the problem. The problem is still there. But what you can be thankful is, is that you've connected with God in the middle of the problem. And I can say, Thank you, God, that you're still God. Even when everything around me seems out of control. You're still God. So, Lord, whatever this problem is, Lord, I'm thanking you already for the answer. Let your requests be made known to God by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. And only then will the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But there's one more thing. Notice the next verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what? Meditate on these things. Now, folks, listen to me. Look at me I ain't good looking but you can stand it for a few seconds. One of the things we must do to overcome the enemy is to change our way of thinking. If I am feeling desperate and hopeless I want to tell you something that's going to be hard to come out of that. What I've got to do is I have to respond to my desperation and my hopelessness by quoting to God his promises. And as I fill my mind with His promises, my thinking begins to change. You read verses that talk about how great your God is. He couldn't do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. I want to tell you, that will help you to face your problem. You've got to change your way of thinking. I just can't stop. Yes, you can stop. You can, not in your strength, but with the Lord you can. But if you tell yourself again and again and again, I mean, as I'm walking up to the lemon meringue pie and I say, I can't, I can't, I can't, guess what? I'll eat the whole thing instead of just half of it. No, no, that that wasn't right. But do you understand what I'm saying? If you've convinced yourself you're not going to have victory, guess what? You won't have victory. You're going to change your thinking say, through God I will conquer. Because he will never let me down. You've got to think about what is true. Because I'll tell you, the devil will constantly lie to you. And he'll get you thinking lies. But you've got to think what's true. What God says. And claim the promises. Change your way of thinking. And I tell you, you put that combination together. You pray with thanksgiving make your needs known to God. His peace floods your soul. And what happens? You begin thinking different. You begin acting and responding different to your circumstances. And I just close with this final verse. Notice what he says here? What happened to him? Verse 8 says, and he arose after he had slept for two times and after he had eaten the double portion. It says, and he arose and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. What's significant about forty days and forty nights? In the Bible forty days and forty nights usually has to do with some kind of testing or tribulation or temptation. Forty days of rain, the flood, right? And then that Jesus in the wilderness forty days and forty nights without eating and drinking. That was his time of being attacked by the devil. Folks, listen, he went in the strength of that meat, that provision for God, lasted 40 days and 40 nights. You know what we learn about that? Is that God will get us all the way through the trouble. And then it says, he will take us to Horeb, the mountain of God. You know what I love about that? That tells me that my life, that from the day I live today till the day I die, is gonna be filled with tribulation. But there's going to be one day that in the strength of the meat of the word of God and the peace that I rest in in Jesus Christ, one day I'm going to close my eyes in this world and I'm going to open my eyes in the mountain of God in heaven. Brethren, Elijah made some mistakes. But God in his love came and said, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you, my boy. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to rest you and I'm going to give you everything you need to make it all the way to the destination I have for you, the mountain of God. folks, how can we ask for more than that? But we have to do our part. I don't know what 2020 is going to have for you and me. I really don't. As I look ahead, I see concerns. Concerns for our church. Concerns for individuals in our church. Concerns in my own life. But this has helped me to refocus my attention and say, Lord, you will not change in 2020. You're going to be the same God next year as you were this year. God, I'm going to just trust you. I am going to come to you in prayer consistently. I am going to rest in the peace that only you can give me. And I am going to change my thinking so that I think biblically. And not in a worldly manner. If you and I will do that. We'll make it for 40 days and 40 nights. The time of tribulation all the way to the mountain of God. Let's pray. Thank you Father for the word today. For the opportunity to open the scriptures. Lord I'm so thankful for this passage. I'm so thankful for Elijah. I'm thankful Lord that you even recorded. Not only his victories. You recorded his failures. And Lord I think. To some degree, I've learned more through Elijah's failure than through his victories. I mean, it was wonderful when he had defeated those false prophets, and it was wonderful when he stood in front of Ahab and said, "It's not going to rain for three and a half years," and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and and then he went back after three and a half years, said, "It's going to rain," and says, "It's going to, you know, be so wet that it's going to turn to mud." And I mean, to have the faith. Well, I mean, that's that's amazing. But Lord, he also ran for his own life, he wanted to protect himself, take care of himself, he took himself out of your hands and placed himself in his own hands and then all he could do was run and give up and want to die. Help us Lord, touch us by your angel, touch us through the word of God, that food that nourishes our soul. Touch us through heavenly peace which causes us to rest in the midst of difficulty and carry us the 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the mountain of God. Thank you, Father, for what you'll do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand him better and the truth he's laid out for us in his word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.